it's the needle and the mouse hi we're back season 12 very season exciting 14. very exciting season it is. let's just say season 2022 yeah did we one. haven't done anything this year yet no i think we were going to and then things got busy yeah life happened life, life happened um yeah. I now have seven jobs instead of three. And I have 14. Huh? Uh, or one or two or, four, or five. Uh, anyway, welcome back. Thanks for sticking with us through this uh, delightful fall, spring, winter break. And It's so strange still living here and the fact that it's still March, but it really feels like summer. Yeah. It feels like it's June. Here in LA. Yeah. We should... I'm, I am just still not... Like in September, October... I'm still thinking, like it feels like it's September until no, until like late December, and then it feels like it's. There's like two weeks of November. Yeah, and then it's a little cold. It's like and October then it's spring again. Yeah, and now and yesterday it was 90 degrees. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, there, there's like this weird time the last few weeks where you're running the heat at night and then the air conditioner during the day. Yeah. I uh, love it. I mean, that's ideal weather to me. Along with Lauren Sherman, I'm Dan Fromer. You're listening to The Needle and the Mouse from, uh, what's our production company called? We don't know. Semi-Related. That's that's true. That is the production company. Semi-Related LLC. <laughs> and if you want to cut that out if it's private information no, or something. No, it's not. It is technically the holding company. Cool. Um, someday I'll do more with it. <laughs> I think you do a lot with it. I do do a lot with it. Um we uh, are very happy to be back here for you, and we'll try to we'll try to do a full season. Yeah, we're doing a full season. It's great to be back for all of you, and uh, and for all of us. Let's be real; we we're doing this mostly for ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy it. It's, it's super. It's fun. good practice because I'm launching a podcast at my actual job. I might too. I think I will. That's. It, that we will talk about more. I'll promo it on on there. But it's good for me to just be speaking into a microphone, working on my vocal fry, learning how to breathe between sentences, all that stuff. True. I think my ideal situation is that I'm standing during a podcast. Although I could see if I were standing and you were sitting, that would be a little weird. <laughs> Yeah, that would be weird. <laughs> would you be weird? We could I'm, both stand. We could both stand. I think it would be fun to walk and do it, but I just don't oh. know how you record. Well, you would need you would need some gear because the wind noise would be probably annoying. Yeah, and also the walking noise. The and the, the thing noise. is, I just feel like we have really good conversations when we go on walks, walk and talk. Yeah, and they a lot of times are what. I think, oh, we should have done a podcast about this, or we end up doing a podcast. Well, about you know, it. I love buying unnecessary gear, so maybe I'll get a couple of those, Great. those uh, like CB ra- trucker radio style uh, microphones that sit right in front of your. You know, like football coaches would use. Yeah. Um, yeah, that sounds cool. And then we could just walk around sounds the really reservoir cool. with these giant yeah. microphone helmets And then we'll on. just be the assholes that yeah. are always walking around the reservoir with our microphone helmets. Pod, you know that, do you see that guy who wears like, he wears like a plastic suit to go running? Oh, yeah. And he also looks like he wears some sort of like radio on him as well. Oh, well, like, is it a, do you think it's a heart rate monitor or something? Is that oh, on his chest? Yeah, maybe it is. Could yeah. be, yeah. But he wears like a very heavy plastic suit. 
Yeah. To go running. I haven't seen him in a while, actually. Yeah. But I guess it's because he... I Doesn't he run, like, in the afternoons? It might be. And I, I feel like I don't go on walks in the afternoons anymore because I'm with, with the baby. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess if you want to sweat a lot more than is natural, you would wear a plastic bag yeah, while, you're, very interesting. while you're running. Very interesting. Me? I'm the opposite. I would like to have yeah. as much of my sweat be... Sw- wicked away. Yeah, wicked. Yeah. Absorbed into the atmosphere. Yeah. Is that what it's called? Yeah. Atomized. Yeah, that's something. I came very close to buying one of those Muji uh, essential oil atomizers for my, op- for my new office, but have not. Stinky. Yeah. I don't like the scents. So what do you want to talk about today? Well, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned how warm it is in L.A. Do people want content about New York versus L.A.? Or do you think it's just over? No one cares. I think this show exists purely for your (laughs) entertainment and somewhat for mine. So I think you should talk about whatever you want to talk about. Well, I think you wanted to get my feedback about Fashion Week. It kind of feeds into this, so maybe you can figure out a way to segue into that but right now yeah but let me say what i was going to say you were talking about how warm it is here and i have had a really hard time since we moved here figuring out what to wear there are many reasons for that one is covid so you're at home and you're not going out a lot so you're just like in sweats or whatever so you have your sweats wardrobe two is that i was pregnant and then i was not pregnant, but still not like back to my normal body or whatever. Um, and then three is that in LA you just need less stuff. Like you don't even, even in New York, I worked from home a lot, but I almost every night would go out. Or if I didn't go out at night, I would go into the office in the afternoon or whatever. Like there were very rare it was very rare that I stayed in the house all day. And here I mean I'd always go for a walk, I'd get in my steps, all that stuff, but like do not need the range of clothing that I had previously. And also the clothing that I wore the clothing I wear in the summer, especially when we were we would travel a lot, so we would be in London, Paris, New York, and LA. I have clothing that works for all of those cities in the summer. But in the winter, when it is a little bit cooler here and you do need a coat or a sweater at night or whatever, I just found myself confused as to what I should wear. And I also, like, it's, it's, I was talking to a bunch of people. I went out last night to an event and because LA is really happening, it's Oscars this week and there's tons of events. So I'm going out a lot. Um, even though I'm actually on vacation, but I've been going to a lot of work events. And I was saying that when, after you have a baby, you kind of, especially if you're a person who shops a lot and who's interested in fashion, you're kind of like, I, it's not that I lost my identity or something. I just didn't know what to buy. Cause like my jeans didn't fit me, but also I wanted to like feel good. So I bought like this Dries Van Noten dress, which was gorgeous, but like wasn't my style at all. I felt like an OC mom in it. And I was like, I'm an OC mom. This is fun. And I wore it all last summer. It was beautiful. But then <laughs> Cynthia Nixon wore it on that Sex in the City show. 
Yeah. And I was like, and it looked really bad. Like they styled it very poorly. And I was like, I have to sell this dress. <laughs> like I, I was going to, I was like, maybe I should save it. Cause it was also a collaboration. The dress is just so beautiful. But what I realized, by it was ruined by that. And also Peloton. it was not my style at all. And we never, then, we only watched, died. we only watched one episode of that, <laughs> that show because I was so mad about the show generally. I feel like everyone else were the only people who didn't just keep watching it. There's too much. I can't watch it. It's there's too much to bad. watch to. But anyway, the point being that around. I just like didn't know what the fuck I was supposed to wear here. And the other thing is I wear a lot of black and it black yeah. just does not feel correct here often. I don't know. It's I also wear a lot of cream, but it's so that stuff works. Anyway, we went to New York in February for New York Fashion Week. So it was the first time that we had gone back to New York in October for like five weeks. This was the first time I went back as like a working professional. Yeah. And I felt, A, it was a really great experience. We had a wonderful time. It was the least stressful Fashion Week probably ever. It Hmm. was just, even though it was weird and and there was as many events and I was really busy it just it felt really good but I also was like oh I remember who I am like I remember what my style is and I came home and I immediately sold I pulled out a ton of shit it sold like tons of stuff and just felt so much better afterwards And now, last night when I went out, I actually wore, like, a black blazer and black pants with a a, a bright orange t-shirt and sandals. And it did feel appropriate for L.A. But I finally, like, figured out, okay, if I want to wear black in L.A., it has to be, like, really dry, light fabrics or whatever. But the, the point being that there is just so much as much as our life did not change that much when we moved here, whereas I think people move to a different city and you, it changed a lot, but like our, I didn't feel stressed or uprooted by moving here. Mm -hmm. It was the opposite. I felt like a huge relief, but there are things about living here that are just fundamentally different. And now that things are starting to open up, you're starting to get that sense more. Does that all make sense? To me, it's like the, the stark difference between living in a place with seasonality and in a place with very muted seasonality. Like it's pretty much always summer here. So even though it's cooler and dark at nighttime in the winter, it's still almost never appropriate to wear like a down jacket and, you know, wintry boots. Whereas in a place like New York where we lived for 15 years or in Chicago where I grew up, like there was a certain kind of self, you know, you wouldn't necessarily celebrate that it was winter, but it was kind of fun to put on your winter boots for, a, yeah. you know, for a few days or for a night out or something like that. Similarly in the summer, like, oh, I'm wearing my zany summer shirts or whatever. Well, here it's like I, I can wear those in March or November, too, which makes them a little less special. And the winter stuff, which like we, again, spent 15 years collecting and like refining. Yeah. I'm glad we had those two weeks to get it out of our system. Like, I don't need to wear my my Gore-Tex winter boots no. for 10 no, more months and, and I'll be very happy. I went through hell with my boots cause I bought these Suey Coke boots oh on gosh, sale yeah. and they were too small way and they small. like ruined my feet. It was very annoying. Yeah. So I think that is just a different thing. And like there are t- incredible benefits to that. 
which we are, you know, which we've enjoyed the last, is this our third winter here now? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Wow, that's crazy. Wait, no, I guess it was our second, but. No, it was the third. Because 2020, 2020, 2021, 2021, and now this is into so 2022. Two and a half. But. Yeah. Um, uh, really love not having to be freezing cold in February, in March, you know. Totally. The, the random uh, late April snow dump, like, glad to skip that. But, you know, corduroy season is awful short here. <laughs> well, it's a bummer. The thing that I love, we both really love outerwear. Yeah. And I felt, like, really compelled to buy a new coat when we were going to New York. And I was like, Same. I cannot buy a new coat for two weeks. This is stupid. No, I didn't. And if we, if I start traveling again more for work and have to go to Europe in the winter or whatever, then maybe, yes, it, at some point I can get a new I yeah. really want, like, a chocolate brown big coat. But See, I almost bought this white Norse Projects, like, Gore-Tex <laughs> thing that, like, is a total gag yeah. coat. But you don't, you can't buy a gag coat. No, like that. If you're only going to wear it no. zero to one time a year. So. Um, the good thing is all my blazers and things like that I can wear here, and yeah. I am getting a lot of. And that's what I've probably spent the most money on over the years mm. because I just like them. Um, I've always been a blazer person, so I bought the Celine blazer years ago on sale, but it was still really expensive, and I wear that a ton here. Um, but the it is. I'm in, really embracing the overshirt. I yeah. haven't really. You have great LA my, style. Have not really found my blazer opportunities here, mostly because I have not been going to any formal events whatsoever. But even then, I'm like, I kind of want to just wear like an overshirt or like, I do have a couple. I guess what you would call like a work jacket, like a really light work jacket that is kind of between a shirt and a jacket. Those yeah. things I'll I'll wear more. But even now, just even like a short sleeve over shirt, like uh, that's about as as uh, outerwear as it gets for me these yeah. days. Yeah. Yeah, I'm feeling much better about it. It's also suddenly, I mean, I went back to work full time in January. So that's part of it that I was, I'm out and about, but also people are out and about now. There are a lot of events. I'm getting invited to more things and I do feel compelled. Whereas in New York, I was like avoiding every event. I feel compelled. This to last trip or? or no, the, just oh, generally. Yeah, yeah. Like before we moved because I was just so burnt out. Um, well, there was just endless events. Yeah. Too. Now. I'm like, whoa, there's an event. I got to go. Yeah. Last night I skipped one because it was really out of the way. And I knew that the people did not care if I came or not. Like I texted someone. I was like, do they care at all? And the answer was, don't worry about it. Um, but last night I went to two things. And yeah, it was really fun to be wear, wearing clothes. And I went, I've been going out more. Remember so it's I like a reason. to go to the monocle party? Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that is, that is. That was awesome. Just, it, totally you. But the other thing that I'm like coming to terms with about LA, go since I've been going out more, is the restaurant scene. Mm. Which like, it's interesting because I think from a produce, exp- produce and like cooking at home, we cook a ho- at home way more than we did in New York, obviously. Yeah. Um, probably four nights a week versus used to be two nights a week in New Yorker. And, you know, maybe sometimes even five nights a week we cook at home here. It's We usually really, if it's yeah. only us, we really only go out two nights a week. Um, but I've been going out more. And there are a couple restaurants here that are amazing. I think the daytime food is amazing. Like, 
I still think Squirrel is one of the best restaurants so in the good. world. It's so good. And Dune. And there's all these, you know, Middle Eastern, Mislala. There's like a lot of, and there's obviously a lot of good, like local food. There's this amazing Armenian bread um, that's filled with all these herbs right in Glendale, right? Yum. I forget. It's called like Zengav Hats or something like that. I don't remember. But, um, there's like lots of local stuff like that, but um, I don't know if you're allowed to call it ethnic food anymore. No, nope. but no, mm-hmm. but you know what I mean, like local localized food. But the kind of buzzy restaurants, the food at these restaurants is shitty. It's not good. Yeah, and and I it's fine. Like I know I'm not going to these restaurants. I think that Found Oyster is really good and has really it, – it could compete. Like well, The first time we went – I know there's not a lot of food there for you, but the first time we went, we were like, oh, this really feels like Brooklyn. And the food competes, Yeah, I'd say. It has very Williamsburg vibes and, or Lower East Side. And I would say like that. that like all time is, is not – you can't compare it to anything in New York. It really does feel like home-cooked food. Yeah. California backyard but dining. But it feels, but I think it's high quality. Like, yeah. I think the food is very good. The last couple of times we went there, it was really, really good. I would say, and maybe Kismet counts. There are a couple places that I think the food is at the same level. Kismet, definitely the food is at the same level as New York. But, like, there aren't that many. And most of the cool restaurants, the food is just not good. And it's fine. Like, I don't care if I'm just going out to hang out with my friends, then I guess it's okay. But it's also annoying because there is clearly an appetite for it. And there are... An appetite for better food or for better better food at nice restaurants. Like, there are clearly people who go out to eat a lot here. It's not the same level of New York, but there are 10 restaurants in New York that have like really, 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 really good food that we would go to anytime. Yeah. Like Claro, Four Horsemen, Servos, Hearts, Altro Paradiso, Estella, Lodi. What other places? King. King. What what other places? That, and then you could say, I mean, the, the other ones there's, don't have. There's like 20 more too. But that's uh, that's eight. Yeah. That I just named off the top of my head that we go to all the time. And and there's at least 10 more that have excellent food, but also like a very good fun scene. And it's just interesting. I don't know. It's it, it, it. The food is not terrible at a lot of these places. Some of them it is, but it's not terrible. But it's just like, why... Why are there all these really talented chefs doing daytime food, but there isn't? I don't know. It's just a strange. It just feels like a weird thing. And like some of the places that we used to go to a lot here, which were never trying to be fine dining, like, you know, a place like Elf. Like, oh, yeah. Elf is closed. Um, it, I don't know. It's, it is weird. And then there's a lot of as you described, like kind of sceny places where the food is not good. I mean, that that's like that in New York too. So it's not like, yeah, I guess that we just can avoid those. Cause there's so much other stuff. Whereas yeah. here it's like, Oh, I actually really want to go to that place because it is 
the cool, the only cool place or one of the only cool places. The one, the one play, the one other thing is like East side versus West side, like all the Jelena restaurants, which I don't even think of them as being sceny anymore, but they all have like top notch, excellent food. Yeah. We had dinner at juice city the other night and it was, yeah. Fantastic, but we it can't be really be a go to because it's in basically in a different city. And then the other ones that Evan Funke or I don't know how to pronounce his last name. It's F U N K E. He does Mother Felix and Mother Wolf. So Mother Wolf is that restaurant that's like impossible to get into right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. But his is very. He's like a pasta person. So and the the Mother Wolf is in I want to say West Hollywood. So we could go there, but. Felix, like, I don't know what you could eat. I would like to go, but that's the other thing. It's all very, like, pasta-y. Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. Do you get a feeling that, like... Because there is obviously good food here, but it seems like it's not as focused. It seems like the idea of a New York restaurant is still very specific, and here it's just a different thing. Like, it's... It's more spacious, more like, I don't know. It, well, I it, think simply a huge answer is that people just do not eat out as much here. Yeah. They have people over, they have people, if they're rich, they have like catering catering, <laughs> and, and they have these really big chefs or like, we've never been to, I mean, another part of this is the fact that you are you know, gluten intolerant and really can't eat any of this stuff. But we've never been to the Dave Chang restaurant here. Yeah. Not that we were going to them a ton in New York anyway, because you can't really eat a lot. But like, these are places that I feel like a lot of fancy people have people over for dinner and they have them catered by John and Vinny's or whatever. Mm-hmm. And And so I don't know if there's, I just don't know if economically there's, there's also, I mean, there are restaurants like I want to go to that Bicicleta or whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. Like there are places I want to go, but it's just not. Um... Bicyclette? Bicyclette, yeah. Um, it's just not, I don't know, it's weird. It's It's like everything here, there's no there there. Everything is like sort of kind of in the eth like floating around and you can't like say this is the area this is the place to go like if you go to servos and you there's a two and a half hour wait there's 15 restaurants right around there that you can go that you're not gonna have a terrible yeah i think there's two things one is the like you say the geography and the density there's well there's a bunch of things one is that we are not going to the jonathan gold spots like the hidden gems in neighborhoods that we don't know that are not fancy, that are just like damn good food. We never really seek those places out. Yeah. Some of that is like, I can't eat them. So I think those are some limiting factors, but like even thinking about San Francisco, like it just feels like the idea of a, of a nice restaurant in San Francisco is much more defined than it is here almost. Yeah. And Chicago it is too. It's a different, different scene in chicago yeah um but yeah and i also think like paris is different london's different yeah what we want from a place which is like yummy food and really good wine but also like a fun scene with interesting and not two hours from our house and not two hours from our house 
and also maybe if we go at 5 p.m., they're cool with a baby being there. Yeah. Um, it is very specific. We're not vibing right now. But I have always felt like London was probably our our favorite city to eat in. Really? Well, think about when you think Paris, what not restaurant? Paris, no. I can't even think of one restaurant there that I actually like. <laughs> Can you? But the food. I mean, Le Chateaubriand was amazing. Yes, but, and the and but you don't need to go there. And their restaurant next times. door, Palm Bar was great. Don't need to go back there five times. Yeah, the restaurant. What's the like Spanish place? The Chateaubriand. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Dauph- Le Dauphin. Yeah, yeah. That That's is good. very good. Yeah. Um, but like we mostly just go drink wine. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And but well, you know what the best restaurant is in Paris? Of course. The Grand Bruguet. The Grand Bruguet. Yeah. yeah. It's, Re- reggae. Yeah. Reggae. Yeah. yeah. It's the best. Well, t- and Ten Bells Bread is also very good. But these are daytime places. Anyway, the point being, in London, there's tons of really great restaurants yeah. and mm, that River, have good wine. Rochelle Canteen, Canteen, River Cafe, um, Bright. Mm, all that that whole right. thing. All right. We got to go back to London. Yeah. We got to go. I re- I'm really missing the food there. In particular, got to do the Dishoom triple, three Dishooms in one oh day, God. breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I haven't Can been I to do it? Dishoom in so long. Oh, and then there's Nopi for breakfast. They have the yeah. best soft scrambled eggs. I have all to right, say, now we've made it's a, my favorite. a list of restaurants. Um, all right, so the, the, that is part one of the conversation. But the other thing I want to ask you is because we were talking about New York and we were there for New York Fashion Week. Um, what what changed about? Because I was a little surprised. I'm like, oh, they're just doing Fashion Week. Okay, what what has changed about Fashion Week and what hasn't? And do you think that's the correct progression? So I really wish I had been in Paris because it felt like that was a whole other thing. Especially because the war broke out right before Paris Fashion Week started. And how do you like go and work through something so commercial? while this terrible thing is happening and it's yeah. all interrelated, obviously the, the, that's a, that's a whole other thing. So that was a whole other thing, but I was not expecting New York to be, I, I have not been back in two years because were we in the last fashion week we went to was February, 2020. Yeah. So we did, you came with me to Paris. So I did New York and Paris and then that fall, we were already living here, and they ha- I think there was, like, one show. Hmm. And then that that um, spring, the that February, it was still pretty. I did most of – I still wrote – Chantal and I, my, my coworker, um, we, like, wrote the piece on New York Fashion Week together, even though I didn't come for it because there were so few shows, and most people I just did, like – um, video conference Fashion week Zoom. on Zoom, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, and then last fall I was on maternity leave, and that's when it felt like because a lot of stuff it was so it's warm in September, so you could have everything outside. So a lot of stuff, a lot of people had oh, shows. Yeah, that's cool. And from what Chantal told me, like some people were wearing masks, some weren't. So coming into it in February. Especially because Ami was like so present in January, I had just thought Omicron, not this French boutique Ami. No, um, no, not Ami. I don't know how to to no, different. You said it right. 
Um, but it was just so prevalent. I just was like, well, it might basically not happen, but it will still be good to be there. Get there. And I, I had not been for two years. So I was, and also there were fewer of the kind of marquee designers showing. So I was like, this is an opportunity for me to go see everything. And just go to every, I went to like seven shows a day, which I haven't done in years. I, yeah. I had gone down to like four shows or three shows a day or whatever. Um, but I was going just show, 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 show. Cause I just wanted to see as much as I could. And I mean, and it, nothing has changed. Huh? It, 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 I think that there is a benefit to fewer of the kind of old school, old guard brands showing because those brands don't tend to like Ralph Lauren just did a show in New York and on Tuesday and it was actually a really beautiful, nice show and, and a fun experience. My colleague Brian wrote about it and I edited it for him and he did a great job at like bringing in what it meant to the company. But like it, there's not new ideas in a lot of these marquee brands, Ralph Lauren isn't showing to like set trends. They're showing to reinforce what they mean as a brand or what have mm-hmm. you. And so does he need to show in the middle of New York fashion? We know. And what that does is it does open up. Like I went to a lot of shows that I had wanted to go to for years, but would be in a weird space and I had to go and the, why do you have to go to these bigger brands? It's not for me because of advertising. Like we don't have a lot of advertising on BOF. The majority of our revenue comes from, from subscription. So it's not about that, but it's about like who, who are people going to want to read about? And as like the lead writer on that stuff, I can't ignore the marquee brands as much as like, they're not as interesting to me. I can't ignore them. Whereas this time I was able to see all the young new stuff too and not have to, like we would also just kind of sort of split that stuff up. And this time I was doing it on my own. So I got to see a lot of different stuff. I mean, it was not. And the other interesting thing was it, it happened at the moment when all the brand, all the, Fashion was doing really well. So it happened in February 2022 when they were still, and I I think this has probably slowed down a bit, but also because of supply chain issues and the war and everything, it's it's kind of put another wrench in it. But um, everyone I was talking to was like, we're doing so well. We were up 40% from 2021 and or 40% from 2019, Hmm. which was like a, the indicator of like you're doing better than you were doing before the yeah. pandemic when a lot of brands were struggling, but people were buying stuff. So like that's the part of it that was interesting to me, seeing pants being a thing. Like on the I know that sounds weird that like what was a trend pants, but it was. Like there mm. were a lot of trousers, there were a lot of things that like people haven't worn for three years. And seeing that kind of stuff, I'd say I was disappointed in the fact that like there hasn't been any change into like how it's managed or the infrastructure. There was a show that was supposed to start at nine on the first night. It didn't start till like quarter to 11. Still a shit show. Yeah. Like not, I think more manageable than it used to be, but I also think I just, 
like that night I was like, I just can't get upset about this. Also, yeah. I didn't have to file that night. Whereas mm-hmm. I used to file every single day. I only filed two stories and it was harder because I had to get everything into those two stories. But on the other hand, I got to sleep normal hours most nights. And we were really lucky. Like our nanny came with us. So I like wasn't worried about Fritz either. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it hasn't changed much. And I shows were pretty much the same formats and everything like that. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like the, the really, the interesting thing about, about fashion week is that it really is not, a necessary thing. It is not, it, it used to be a trade show. You would go and if you were a journalist or a buyer and see the collections. And if you read, I read a ton of old reviews from fashion weeks, from the papers and they're not like now I have to like pull out and find a bigger picture idea in these shows because literally they used to just be like this was what the dress was mm-hmm. like yeah. this this was the cut of the dress because li- no one knew no one would see anything for six months to see it yeah and so i think it, it was it felt a little more trade showy than it than it had because all the big commer- it's uh, i don't i i could go down a whole thing but Here, well let me ask a specific question and are they still showing stuff that like you're not going to be able to buy for a long time because i remember there was that point where they were so, trying to do yeah, what was it called see now, see now buy, buy now. now yeah the jacamus that... this designer based in paris he showed in hawaii after fashion month and he showed in season hmm. some are still doing that i don't i think it's but it's less um, of a thing. Yeah. So it's still, yeah. It, and that's the thing, like nothing really changed. I don't, I don't know if it needs, needs to change, but. It's basically a, a photo shoot for Instagram now, right? Yeah. But the thing is like for some of the designers, it's more valuable because they're marketing to the industry for some of the designers. Like I talked to the designer from coach who is like his collections are not super appreciated by mm-hmm. by critics and industry people but they're huge advertisers so a lot of magazines and media people still go and influencers etc but he was really smart about it and he said he treats it like a media yeah. project and um it, that's it doesn't really matter what i think about it yeah you know and and so what my job now is to like it doesn't really matter what I think about the collection. It's to comment more broadly on what's happening around the collection or because of the collection or what have you. So, yeah, it's it's interesting. I was surprised that it wasn't – it hadn't changed more. After being away for two years, it just felt like I was right back in it. I imagine it's still useful to go, and I think, like, why would I ever want to go to, like, an Apple event ever again, other than, like, you know, the feeling special or something like that. Like, you do get to see viscerally, like, the point of view and the taste and the quality and, uh, you know, of a company in a way that you wouldn't feel, I would say, as viscerally watching it on a live stream or something like that. No, for me, as as a reporter a talking to people of course is the most important including the designers and and as a business reporter that is also important for me 
but also seeing who's in the crowd, like at Miriam Nazir um, Zadeh, I think that's how you pronounce her last name. Um, the, the Annabella, Annabelle Dexter Jones and Dasha from oh, the stars of Succession. Succession were in the front row, and I'm like, I've been thinking about it recently. I'm really annoyed I didn't include that in my story because they were like the most. It was just funny that both of them were there, yeah. <laughs> but. A designer like that who, as a consumer, like I buy a lot of her clothing. I mean, I buy a lot of her accessories, actually, not really her clothing as much. But it was good to hear her talk backstage about her process. And also, I've been to her shows many times, but like to see the clothes in person on models and to see the materials. Like there are other, like a Gabriella Hearst, for instance, her clothes, if you watch that on a video or whatever, they just look nice. But the f- materials and fabric she uses are extremely luxurious. So to see that in person and like see the stitching up close, things like that, it's really valuable. Um, but is, is the value that a hundred people who go as their job worth putting on the whole thing? I, I don't know. Right. It's, it's, a, it's very debatable. Yeah. It's very debatable. All right, enough with the coastal rivalries. Yeah. What else do you want to talk about? So I want to talk about your favorite topic. Oh, great. What's that? Glossier. Digital products. So we, we've we had like a contentious couple of weeks in this household about this Glossier stuff. Mm-hmm. So do you, want to, do you want to just break it down on why you're obsessed with with these Glossier stories that have come out and what you wrote about and everything. Yeah. So Glossier, as most of you probably know, is a kind of digital native direct to consumer skincare and, or I guess more beauty than skincare, but it all kind of merges together. Brand. It's um, skincare. You they can were say skincare very cool. Beauty. They were very, very successful at like building an audience online and, using social media as like a place where people would talk about them and get them free promotions and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then they kind of ran into, and they had opened some stores and they were pretty cool, but they had, but they had been very religious about not selling their product in other stores, which is, you know, like Sephora, which is um, still really dominates the beauty industry. So what happened during COVID was that basically a, they closed all their stores and then B, uh, you know, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but basically, like business did not do great, and um, you know, and Bof had a really great story about this uh, earlier this year because basically Glossier said, okay, we have to lay off. I think it was about thirty percent of the company, mostly in technology, uh, which is odd because um, most skincare brands don't have you know dozens of people working in in their e-commerce and technology divisions. And it became clear that one of the reasons that they did was that over the past several years, they had been building a lot of stuff in-house. Most DTC brands use, you know, a Shopify Shopify store and really outsource a lot of their operations, digital operations. Um, Glossier had built their own store, but more interestingly, they have been building their own social network and um, it's not, I, I haven't been able to play with it. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't exist anymore. It's not going to launch. Uh, but my understanding based on kind of some conversations I've had, but also reading articles, including 
Business Insider had one of their classic Business Insider um, kind of mean boss articles last week or the week it before. Was, it was terrible. Yeah, about uh, Emily Weiss, the founder of the company. Um, it was. It felt like one of the weaker articles in the genre. Of it like, was not even a mean boss article. Like yeah. it, demanding it, boss article. It was. Know. It it was and and. I love Business Insider. I think they do a really good job at what they do, and and I get a lot of pleasure and enjoyment out of reading their headlines and uh, some of their their amusing stories. But it just was. It literally said nothing, yeah, new at all. I would highly recommend not reading it. Like it just <laughs> was not. I was like, ooh, this is going to be interesting. Yeah, no, and it, it was not at all. So one of the things that was discussing the article was this kind of social network or this social commerce tool that had been in development for many years. And, um, you know, the, the word that was used a lot to describe it was nebulous. It, it sounded like it was the kind of thing that kind of changed focus a lot. And I guess it started as sort of a beauty focused Reddit. Um, and in fact, Emily Weiss talked about it in an interview with my former colleague, Kara Swisher, uh, in 2019, talked a lot about it kind of in vague terms about this idea of being able to post, um, you know, beauty questions and, and routines and that sort of stuff with no, uh, kind of no distractions, no other content around it and no censorship, uh, which was an interesting word that she used. I think that was the word. Um, it's in my article, read it at newconsumer.com, uh, instead of the business insider article. And, uh, and then it kind of shifted to more of a social commerce thing, which I don't fully, again, like it would be very helpful for me to have seen some some of the software or at least some screenshots, some sort of social, social commerce thing that may have been more like a marketplace where you could buy perhaps other brand stuff as well, which actually is interesting as part of a bigger picture story about what Glossier should become. Should it become a house of brands? Should it become the new Sephora? Let's not talk about that today. That's That's probably a topic for a different article that one or neither of us should write. But um, instead, let's talk about this I kind mean, of social network and social shopping tool, because if I recall, you were one of the people who kind of immediately dismissed it as like, oh, this is a dumb idea. Well, here's the thing. I've written about Glossier for a long time. You should definitely read, if you're interested in this, you should read Rachel Strugatz's story for BOF. It's called How Glossier Lost Its Grip. And then I did a video session, like basically a video podcast that I think is available on the site with another beauty writer, Cheryl Wishover. And we kind of dug deep into this stuff, but my experience, Cheryl and I interviewed Emily at a conference in 2018 with the sweet green CEO. So weird. <laughs> Don't watch that video. <laughs> I, I forgot about how looped in to like how enmeshed in Glossier we both are because yeah. you had done that also. But I wrote a story when Glossier first launched about how she used, how Emily and the team used. So Glossier came from Into the Gloss, which was this content. It was like a beauty website. So they had this very famous column called Top Shelf where they interview people and they – say their beauty routine and people would say ridiculous things and then it would get shared on the internet. It was also the design of glossy of into the gloss was like the website design was super forward thinking all these other websites copied it. Like 
it was just really beautiful. So when, but Emily Weiss was really smart and she knew that like, I want to make money. I need to get into actual physical product. So she used a lot of kind of anecdotal information or I guess qualitative data from the comment section of into the gloss to make products. And so that was the like launch idea and which is really brilliant. All these brands now are like, we use all our data from our Facebook groups to make clothes or whatever. It all came from Glossier and every company was looking at them at fashion and beauty about how to, to manage this stuff. And Yes. So, so when, when my experience, when a, first of all, when a company, I have written about so many companies, e-commerce companies that have either gone out of business or, you know, I'm just talking about retailers generally, not e-commerce, but retailers, fashion businesses, whatever, have either gone out of business because of replatforming or trying to do their own technology or whatever, or completely like ruined their businesses for it. Every single department store or big major luxury e-commerce site, not every single, but I'd say like nine out of 10 have had a huge fuck up with their, their technology because they're trying to build it themselves. And then they have to replatform. I know so many people have gone out of business, blah, blah, blah. But anytime someone who tries to, Build something that it's better if someone else does it. It fails spectacularly. And then, so that's part of it. And then the other part of it is, like, what it sounds like she was trying to build was a platform that was separate from Glossier in many ways. It was, like, independent. Hmm. So that she could keep getting that data and into the gloss that model of a website, like that's not relevant anymore. And Emily is really forward thinking. So the idea that she thought, Oh, I need to do, I need to change into the gloss or like, I need to make something that will kind of succeed into the gloss in terms of how we're going to get the information from people. That's a smart idea. The idea of building it out, they also, I believe, built their own e-commerce and right. and don't use, which is which now they're getting out of. That's interesting because, like, now everybody just e-commerce is so app based, and you use like a bunch of different services and plug them all into Shopify or whatever. And but I mean, I don't. I've written a lot of stories about this, like I especially about Wine App in particular, about like. All the money, not a porte about all the money they tried to spend, and yeah, and they had actually come and pitched me a shopping social network called called the the Net Net Set Set many years ago, which of course does not exist. So, so, so yes. So the first part is when you spend a bunch of money on tech products, and you're a, a a product, a physical product company, it tends to not work out. If, I think, let's, if let's, that let's comes talk, second, yeah. Well, what's so your that's second point? part of then, I, then the second. The second part of it is that I have never seen a brand create an independent platform for, for information and be successful. Yeah, and well, so social social platform. Sure. Yeah, but like a a platform that is separate from 
the physical product and be hugely successful. I believe in content and commerce. Like Tory Burch, for example, I was talking about them the other night because there are a lot of old uh, former editors who work there. They have an amazing editorial product. No one talks about it. Like it's great for them. It works. I'm sure they the amount of money they spend is a good return on investment. But no one is like you. The only example of that is Mel Magazine with Dollar Shave Club of having like edit an editorial feeling and integrity that is like supersedes the brand or whatever. But that that was is like an anomaly and also like a weird. Situation. Well, and that was just done so poorly in the sense that it was so disconnected from the parent brand that it served no purpose and was sold off. You know, yeah. Be, but that and that's down. but that's why it worked because it was so disconnected. Totally, and, it was and as so, if they had so no connection at all. The thing that I would say is that when I first heard about this thing, I was like, "Yeah, well, of course that's not going to work." And and why was why was it encouraged? And why why did you know they've raised so much money? Why were they? Why was Emily and her team encouraged to keep moving forward with this? I will never know because to me, the most important thing when you have a product company and people forget this, but you have to have good product Yeah, and And people actually do care about that, especially in beauty, which is a replenishment business. If you have cute product, you buy it once and it's crap. People are not going to buy it again. Yeah. It's just the, the fact. Right. So to summarize my piece and, we, what we don't know is who on the board was uh, was saying, oh, yeah, this is great. Keep going along with this, and we should probably try to find that out. But I understand the allure. Like I, as someone who has tried and and unsuccessfully built a verticalized social network, there is an appeal to say, okay, there's this activity that's happening online. Some, so, some of it's on Twitter. Some of it's on Reddit. Some of it's on Instagram where people are sharing a very specific – bit of information or a very specific process for her it was perhaps beauty routines or or advice in my case with city notes it was travel lists and there's a real appeal to say okay i'm going to build a property where that is the focus of this property people are going to come to city notes and ask questions about where they should go to eat in paris and someone else is going to post it and it's going to be this self-contained vertical social network so i personally can totally understand the appeal of that and and perhaps there there's this use case of this beauty routine that they had proven out through actual journalistic content with Top Shelf that they were thinking, okay, maybe – in the comments section, which then they were using to mine for, for product, maybe there's this opportunity. We can build a digital tool and because we're Glossier and we're cool and we have influencers who use our product and might post on there, like maybe there's this chance that we could build this thing – and it will be successful. Um, the problem with that, it's not the fact that this hasn't been done to me doesn't matter. Like it is weird that brand content never really breaks through. That's probably a whole other show we can talk about. There are obvious reasons for that, and not and less obvious reasons. This this idea that a pro, a physical product company has never made a very very successful social digital product is also interesting there i can't think of a precedent where it actually has worked out but you could see the appeal because here you are this brand you know you have this community you know you have this audience you know you have this use case in mind and if it does work it could be really huge for you it may lessen your dependence on facebook and instagram not only as an editorial and as a community platform 
but you might not if you if you're able to move this traffic to your owned and operated property then maybe you're spending less ad money on instagram maybe you maybe they're paying you for some reason uh maybe facebook's paying you for whatever reason i don't know um maybe actually facebook's probably not paying you but maybe other brands are paying you maybe you're able to sell ads on there uh amazon has a 30 billion dollar ad business you wouldn't wouldn't have expected that so and and maybe if you have a marketplace then that makes sense too but the thing about this stuff is you just got to launch it you got to start small and you got to build on it and they never did it never shipped it it seemed to have pivoted internally endlessly and you could read the if you dare read the bi article you see okay there's different product managers different heads of digital they last for a year and then they leave that is um you know that is a problem that many companies have it seems to have been the, one of the problems in this case i don't know if the glossier brand which is managed in a very tight way could have ever survived a real social network with quote unquote no censorship where you know the minute someone posts something mentally troubling or threatening or something like that all of a sudden you need moderators you know we've learned a lot about social networks over the last 10 years and one of the things is you don't want to run a social network if you can get out of it like they are a nightmare to run there are all kinds of issues from free speech to literally like people threatening war and genocide on on your platforms as a dtc beauty brand you don't want to be in the business of running a social network so it obviously didn't happen it's probably not going to happen I don't think it was a dumb idea. I just, you know, it's it is a different kind of work than making cool beauty products. Launching digital products, which by the way can be a website, can be your e-commerce store. They've done that r- rather successfully. My understanding with the Shopify situation is when they launched, Shopify was not yet the clear winner, so they built no, their own thing. That's true. That is almost very true. a decade now later. It's like, okay, yeah, you should, probably should just be on Shopify. So my understanding is that they're going to move onto a Shopify-like system if not Shopify itself, uh, great. That'll be probably easier and 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 less onerous to be running. Um, instead, differentiate in other ways with design or with your actual product, which to our point, like, and <laughs> the, the, the main reader email I got on this uh, email newsletter was from my dad, who was an advertising executive for his whole career. And That's he funny. basically said, yeah, smart. Like, she knew when to pull the plug and... Maybe it took too long, but the the lesson of this is it didn't ship. It never launched. It's not a headache for them going forward. And sometimes you just have to know when to fold them. And yeah. and, and to me, that is the, the takeaway here. And will we ever see this thing uh, in the wild? Probably not. But I don't think it was a terrible idea necessarily. Like you could see how it would be super useful if it worked. Yes, there's a very low probability of it working, but you could say that about any business, any online business. How many Instagram for videos were there? And then it turned out Instagram is the Instagram for video. And it turned, will probably turn out that Instagram is the Instagram for travel lists too. And, um, you know, it, I've moved on as well. Well, the one, the one thing I will say, and it comes down to me about what you think about City Notes, I think what you really wanted to build was not a social network. It was a travel magazine of like where to go. And I think I remember, and maybe I'm misremembering, but I think when you first started it, I think if it was more something where you were the one pulling in the information from different people and putting the list together and could have built it out more slowly, that would have been yeah. 
what you actually wanted to do instead of raising and investors wanted and that blah, blah, blah. and I would say that that is the same thing with Glossier, which is I agree. Like I don't think it was a terrible idea. I I do think it was a terrible idea. <laughs> But I don't think the thinking was a terrible thinking. But the problem is none of that matters if the product isn't – and I think probably when it started, the product was in a good place or was selling well. But something happened where there was stasis in the development of the brand and also in the development of the product. Yeah. And and I think with a lot of these DTC or whatever you want to call them companies, they kind of ignored product – and just worked on kind of ramping up. And I don't think that Glossier ignored the product. I think it just at some point got lost in the shuffle. And that's what it comes down to is like building something a little more slowly, which is really hard to do when you've raised a shit ton of money. Yeah. But, justify your billion dollar valuation. Yeah. But building something a little more slowly is a little more valuable but also i mean there's there's a whole other thing about distribution and there were all these other ways that they could have juiced the business and like ramped out the business and they didn't and so why it you could do 500 we could do like i could do spend a year investigating this i'll never know every single thing because it's a company right. and you know what these kinds of things happen and people lose shit tons of money all the time and you never read about them yeah, because it's part of business yeah um but but I think what it comes down to is is the actual thing you're selling that's the core of the business solid? And if it's not, you can't do this other shit. Yeah. And, and that's right now it's not. Yeah. And so and I think like with City Notes, like if you could just make a Fromer's travel of Dan Fromer. Yeah. And make that your life and that was like a profitable thing. That's what you would have really wanted yeah, to do. Whereas, like, Homer. do you really want a list from some random person? No, no, but like you, that's what everybody was telling you that you had to do to make it a Scalable. real business, and yeah. and it's bullshit. And yeah, like, that's it, all right. Yeah, uh, we'll talk about that another time, or never, or never again. But. I thought it was it was cathartic. Was it oh. cathartic for you right now? Yeah, not really. No, I'm sorry. It's okay. Uh, I. I you know, to close that one, I just didn't really enjoy making travel lists as a business. Yeah. So I'm yeah. glad I don't. Uh, I love my, I, lo- I much prefer my current job writing essays about why a Glossier social network yeah. was not a No, I thought you did idea. a good job. And it was interesting that you were just so interested in it. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's near and dear to my heart. Anyway, we have to go or we're going to be late for lunch. Yeah, we need so to go. So thank you for listening. Uh, thank you to Alan Lawrence, as always, for the. Thanks, Lovely Al. theme music. We'll be back. You can find us online uh, or listen to old episodes. Needle and the mouse. The needle and the mouse. dot com. Send us topics. Sure, we'll talk about whatever you want. Ask us questions. Tweet at us. Needle and mouse. Yeah. Or find other individuals. We gotta go. So see Bye. you next time. Bye. Bye.